So last week I heard it was awesome and I'm so excited. And Pastor Philip, he kind of finished it up leading into what we're going to be talking about, this, this idea of freedom. Um, and so this week we're going to be talking, kind of giving an overview of freedom and talking about some of the freedoms we have access to in Christ. And then next week we're going to get into the process of freedom. We're going to look at a story in the New Testament and we're going to let it kind of teach us what it looks like to walk through the process of freedom. And we're going to find out what it takes, what we have to give, right, to walk through that process. And then the third week, we're going to get into some specific things that we need freedom from, that we might need freedom from. And we're going to look at those things and we're going to dive into those things together. And I'm really excited about kind of going on this journey together. Are you excited? Good. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to get right into it. Father, we thank you so much for tonight. We thank you for the ability that we have to gather in your name without fear, God. We thank you that you left us your word, God, your breath on the page for us to learn from and listen to and glean from, God. And we pray that we would do all of those things tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if we're going to talk about freedom, we have to start by talking about sin. And salvation to really kind of understand the whole concept of freedom. So let's talk about sin. You like talking about sin? Okay. Sin enters the world, right, with the fall, what we call the fall. It's the fallen state of man. It's Adam and Eve disobeying God and obeying their own desires. And we find that in Genesis chapter 3. And as a result of their sin, what comes with the fall is death, both spiritual and physical death. So they enter the scene. But we don't see the word sin until Genesis 4, when God is having a conversation with their son Cain. So you guys know Cain and Abel, right? So Cain killed his brother, Abel. But before he killed his brother, God gave him an opportunity to get things right. And God said this to him. It's very interesting. He tells him that sin is crouching at the door, that sin has a desire to master him, to overpower him, but that he can choose to not open that door, right? So God, I think it's so interesting, he personifies sin. He gives it this nature that it has its own desires, that it's waiting. You see it? Can you see it? kind of sinisterly, and it's, it's there. It's crouching at the door. So the Hebrew word for sin, we're going to learn four, one Hebrew word and three Greek words, so you can text your friend and say, I'm a Greek scholar, um, after this. <laughs> the Hebrew word for sin in its simplest form is K-H-A-T-A. So I'm going to say it wrong. I listened to a man say it over and over, but I'm still going to say it wrong. You know how you do that? You YouTube it? Okay, anyway. It's Hata, hata. Let's say it together. Let's all sound crazy. Hata. Okay, good. Y'all sounded better than me. Hata. So it means the failure to hit the goal, to go wrong. You may have heard it defined as missing the mark. So it's, it's interesting to note that this word for sin is not strictly a religious word. The Hebrews would use this word sin all the time to talk about when someone had failed to, miss a, to make a goal, 
They, they were throwing something, and they didn't hit it. They were shooting an arrow, and they didn't hit the target, whatever. They were supposed to be going one way, and they went another way. So this was kind of a regular word that they used. But then in the New Testament, it shifts. And the Greek word that's mostly used for sin, you ready to say this one? Okay. Hamartia. Hamartia. Say it five times fat. No. Hamartia. Hamartia. This word sin, hamartia, is used almost exclusively to describe the condition of humanity where we are unable within ourselves to hit God's goal of righteousness. That's really what this definition means. There's a goal, there's a mark, this is righteousness over here, but there's something within us this condition that we're in that keeps us from hitting that mark. This condition keeps us from doing the things that God wants us to do and causes us to do the things we want to do. Plural, sins. We commit sins. We keep missing the goal. We keep missing the mark. And the mark really, and I found this explanation for it, it was so beautiful, it said the mark that we miss is the, the goal of loving God completely and loving others the way we love ourselves and the way he has loved us. That within ourselves, it's impossible for us to do that because of the condition that we're in. We are always going to think about ourselves first. So here's a fact, in case you didn't know it. All human beings are born in a sin state. We come out of the womb with this natural ability to miss the mark, <laughs> to fail at obeying God completely. If you've ever been around a one-and-a-half-year-old, I was just talking to a friend, Neely, and she was telling me about her one-and-a-half-year-old, and she said, she's starting to hit. And I was like, oh, that reminds me of this whole concept. Nobody has to tell us how to be selfish. Nobody has to teach us how to lie. You catch your two-year-old doing something wrong, and they say, do you say, did you do it? And they say, no, right? So we all come out with this sin condition, this natural ability to miss the mark. And because of that state that we arrive in, because of the fall, this is why we need salvation. This is why we need someone to help us, because we can't help ourselves. So Ephesians 2, 1, 5 is the first verses we're really going to look at together. If you have a Bible and you want to go ahead and get there or your phone or, you know, always just looking at the screen on the back, it'll be up there. Before we get there, I just want us to understand something about Ephesians. This is Bible class. So I'm going to give you just, I love this. So Ephesians is this letter Paul writes from prison, right? And he's writing to a church that he knows well. So he had spent about two plus years with them. He had, been, he had spent a lot of time with them. He spent a lot of time with the Corinthian church. You know, he wrote some letters to people that he never met. So he wrote the Colossians to the Colossians, but he had never met them. He wrote to the Romans, but he had never met them. And so I just love reading the Bible with the right perspective. Paul is in prison, and he's writing this letter to these people he knows well. And he wants to give them some reminders that's what you really get, especially in that first half of Ephesians. So let's read it as if it's a, a good reminder for us tonight. Paul writes, Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. Sorry. 
As for you, Paul writes, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, say all, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature, right, deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So there's four facts that Paul lays out for the Ephesians and for us. He says, number one, we were all at one time dead in our sins. This is an important theological fact for us to understand. No one is born a Christian. No one can accurately say, I've been following Jesus my whole life, which is something that we say a lot here in the South. And so we have to understand that's not possible because we were all, all at one time dead in our sins. Fact number two, for a time, we all followed the ways of this world and the devil. Oh, my I don't want to be told that. But it's true, right? Whether we were 3 or 30, because of this condition we were in, we were a part of another kingdom. Number three, we were at one time deserving the wrath of God. We all deserved at one time to be separated from God forever. But then number four, this is the good news. Because of God's great love for us and his mercy toward us, he made us alive with Christ. It is by grace we have been saved. Come on, somebody. This is not about our own effort. It's not because we were born into a Christian family. God's grace saved us when we decided that we would put our faith in Jesus. He made us alive with Christ So when the blood of Jesus was applied to our life at salvation, what happened? We became a new creation. Come on, the old you died and the new you came alive. We became a new creation. Number two, we received the Holy Spirit and the empowerment to live for God. We received the Holy Spirit. And, and this is what we're going to talk about, we received Access, say access, to true and lasting freedom. True and lasting freedom. And I love to put those adjectives before freedom because there is this false freedom that is offered to us, and we're going to talk about that. And there is this sense within ourselves we can do okay for a time. But the type of freedom that Christ offers is true and lasting freedom. So before we get into the types of freedom we have access to, I want us to to just look at a few people who talked about freedom, specifically in the New Testament. And then we're going to look at our last two words as they're defined in the Greek. Number one, and Pastor Philip ended last week with this, Jesus speaks about freedom. 
In Luke 4.18, as Pastor Philip ended with last week, Jesus stood in the synagogue in his hometown. And in Luke 4.18, we find these words. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. Freedom for the prisoners, freedom for the oppressed. So this Greek word used here is F-S-S, F-S-S. Okay, YouTube is not helping me. F-S-S, which means dismissal, release, pardon, total forgiveness for those imprisoned or oppressed. I love that. This is the type of freedom Jesus said I came for. This is the type of freedom the Father sent me to the earth to open up for people. Jesus speaks about freedom again in one of my favorite verses in the Bible, John 8, 31 and 32. Jesus spoke to the Jews who had believed in him, and he said, if you obey my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Some versions say, will make you free. It's a process. We have to understand and live out the truth. I love it. Jesus ties here truth and obedience and freedom all together. We're just going to note that for tonight because we're going to talk about that more with the process of freedom. So the root word here for free, this is our last word, this is the, the, the funnest one, is eleutheria. Eleutheria, okay? Say that, come on. Eleutheria, don't be ashamed. Come on, we're all mispronouncing. One more time. El. Oh, perfect. I think Coach got it right. Look, he's trying to be fancy over there. I like that. It literally means liberty. Specifically, a state of freedom from slavery. Specifically, a state of freedom from slavery. Interesting. Jesus talks about freedom, then James speaks about freedom. And so James is Jesus' half-brother, right? Same mom, different dad. Come on, amen. All right, and so James, after he becomes a Christ follower, after the resurrection, he becomes a leader in the church, and he writes this beautiful, short, powerful, in-your-face letter to the Hebrew Christians. And in James 1.25, James 1.25, he says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, this is that same word, and perseveres, Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James 2.12, he speaks about this law of liberty again. He says, so speak and so act as people should, in the Amplified, who are to be judged under the law of liberty. And I love this definition. It's the moral instruction given by Christ, especially about love. There's that love again. The law of liberty, the law that sets you free, some versions say. And it's important for us to understand, he's writing to these Jewish Christians, and they would have been living under a law that had a whole lot of do's and don'ts. 
So he's introducing a new concept. Paul, Paul writes about this same law, but he says it's the law of the spirit. It's this law of freedom. No longer do we live under the letter of the law. Now we live under a different law. And this new law, James writes later in his letter, is all about fulfilling these two great commands. Loving God, here we go again, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. According to James, this is the way that free people really live. Number three, Peter. Ah, Peter. Peter speaks about freedom. 1 Peter 2.16, Peter writes, Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Ooh, strong language. It's so funny. I kept looking for different translations. I was like, there's got to be a different word. There's gotta be. No, they're all pretty much all slaves. I was like, okay, all right. What is, what is Peter saying? He's saying, live as free people, but don't misuse the freedom that you have. Live as people who are indebted to God, who are owned by God, who belong to God. And number four, Paul. Good old Paul, and Paul's going to teach us tonight. Paul talks a lot about freedom. So what type of freedoms do we have access to in Christ? The first one we're going to look at is freedom from the adherence to the Jewish law and customs. Thank God. Freedom from the adherence to the Jewish law and customs. Galatians 5, as Paul is writing, verses 1 through 4. Galatians 5, 1 through 4. Paul writes this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. You've probably heard that before, but let's continue in its context. And there's an exclamation point here. It says, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. Man, when they read this for the first time, they were probably like, oh, my God. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. So here's an important Bible study perspective to bring to Bible class. The Bible was written for us, but not necessarily to us. It was written for us, but not necessarily to us. And if you want to know how to read your Bible, you need this book. It's so good. It's called How Not to Read Your Bible. Who wants this book? Anybody? Oh, yeah, Terry? Yeah, read that, read that. So that's our perspective. When we read Galatians 5.1, and when we hear that verse quoted and it's put on a t-shirt, we need to think, where is this at and what are they talking about? So there's these so-called Jewish Christians, and maybe they weren't so-called Jewish Christians. Maybe they really thought this was how it had to be. But some of them were starting to travel. This is crazy. They're going through great lengths to leave Jerusalem, and they're going all over the world, at the known region at the time, and they're beginning to teach these Gentile Christians, hey, 
Jesus' blood saves you, kind of. There's some other things you need to do. You need to be circumcised. So you can imagine how those men felt. Okay. Um, and it wasn't just that. They, he, they began to teach them all kinds of heresy. You need to still do this. You, need, you can't wear this. You can't say this. They began to tell them, basically, what Jesus did for you was not enough. You've got to prove you were saved and do these other things. Instead of the law of liberty that James was describing, they're trying to get them to live under the letter of the Jewish law. Write this down. There are 613 different commandments in the Jewish law. Lord help us. 613. Read Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. You'll see them. God, God gave Moses so many instructions. They can't eat this. They can't wear this. If they do this, they have to take a bath like this. If a goat falls in this person's yard, they got to do this. Like, I mean, doom, boom, 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 just letter after the law, just so much. 613 commandments. And Paul says, okay, you want to be saved by circumcision? Then you have to follow the whole law. If you really want to be made right with God, you have to do everything the law says. You have to basically discard grace and pick up religion. Discard grace, throw it away, and pick up religion. So for us, we could reword this freedom as the freedom from the spirit of religion. Is freedom from that religious spirit, freedom from living day-to-day checking the box. Can you imagine having to pull out all 613 and think at the end of the day, okay, which one did I, okay, Clarissa would have done, I don't know how many. We don't have to live like that anymore. Deep down, what the spirit of religion is, it's this performance-based view of salvation. It's a performance-based view of salvation. We think that to have a relationship with God, we have to do certain things. Instead of having a relationship with him based on the righteousness of Christ. Remember, Paul said, it is by grace you have been saved. When we're really tied up in this spirit of religion, We think we have to produce within ourselves some form of righteousness. And this is the scary thing about it. It results in us being very judgmental. Very judgmental. When Jesus says, look at the log in your own eye instead of the speck in your friend's eye, this is that religious spirit. I can't even see how blind I am but I can see everything that you're doing wrong. By grace, you have been saved. I've struggled with this before. I don't know if you have. When I was doing good, quote, unquote, in my relationship with God, I was getting there. I was checking the boxes. I felt good about my relationship with God. But when I wasn't checking certain boxes, I felt bad. I felt condemned. I dealt with shame and guilt. It's the age-old battle 
of religion versus relationship. Religion versus relationship. And what I found for myself and for others that have struggled with this is that people who live with a religious spirit and try to live up to the letter of the law typically deal with some secret sin and eventually it's found out. So they do all these check the box things to try to make themselves feel better about the thing that they're covering up. So we have freedom from the adherence to the Jewish law and customs. May you just say amen. 613, my God. I can't even keep up with the Ten Commandments. Um, my God, I don't know. Number two, this one's so powerful. We have freedom from the power of sin. Freedom from the power of sin. John 8, 34, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Anybody sin today? Oh, we have like one honest person. There are three of us. Come through. Yesterday? No, it's fine. It's fine. (laughs) So if that's true, why do we say this every Sunday? I'm forgiven and free. Come on. Sin has no hold on me. Where does that come from? Is that true? Did Pastor Philip make it up? Is that what you're asking? No. (laughs) Romans 6, 6 through 12. He did not make it up. Romans 6. Six through 12. We know, this is Paul again, (laughs) that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Come on. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So, Paul says, therefore, you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. That's some really good news. The power of sin Without Christ, without what he did, the power of sin would still have control over our lives. It would still be the master of our lives. But because of the power of the resurrection, we have received the power to say no to sin and yes to God. No to sin and yes to God. But here's the part that trips us up. We still have to battle the presence of sin. I wish it would just disappear when we get saved. Don't you wish we had like an invisible shield around us? Like, hey, you know, no more temptation, no more whatever. No, 
we still have to battle the presence of sin. We still have that fleshly, sinful nature with sinful desires that, hear me, it wants to be resurrected again. The way that Christ came back to life, that's how our sinful nature, it wants to come back to life. It wants us to resuscitate it. It still wants to live. It's the battle of the presence of sin versus the power over sin. Where we're in this boxing ring, if you will, and we have access to the power over sin, and we should be kicking sin's butt every day, right? But somehow, it lands a jab or two, a time or two. It's the battle we're all facing. It's the battle that a lot of people are losing. Although we are free from the power of sin, which means we have power over sin, the hard part is we still get to choose if we will give in to sin. That's why Paul writes in verse 11, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. What is Paul implying? That sin can still control you. You still have the ability, although you are saved, to give in to sinful desires. Sin is still crouching at the door, as God said. When you put the I'm saved sign on your door, it didn't go away. It's still there. Hey, I want you. <laughs> you know? And you can feel it. It's there. It didn't go away. We have the power to master it, but we all know in this room it's harder to do than we want it to be. But because of Jesus, it's possible. Because of Jesus, we can declare. It's not heresy when we say it every Sunday. Sin has no hold on me. It's the truth. It's the absolute truth. But we get to decide what we do with that truth. When we find ourselves losing this battle more often than not, especially if we have a particular sin that it seems like no matter what we do, we just can't master it, we need to walk through the process of freedom. You know what I'm talking about? That thing, for a while it was okay, and then here it is again, and here it is again, and here it is again. We need to be honest, and we need to walk through the process of freedom. And here's just a little disclaimer. It kind of ties back to the last freedom. When we are unwilling to walk through the process, we often end up with a religious spirit because we live this life of cover-up, of hiding, and we put on a good face, but on the inside, we need some help. This is why I am a firm believer that every Christ follower needs to walk through the process of freedom over and over again in their journey with God, there's always more. There's always more, right? So we have freedom from adherence to the Jewish law and customs, praise God. So basically freedom from religion, from that performance-based salvation. We have freedom from the power of sin, which could never have been accomplished without Jesus and the resurrection. And then the third thing we have 
is freedom from the kingdom and culture of darkness. Freedom from the kingdom and culture of darkness. I love this. Colossians, this is one of those books, Paul, letters he wrote to a church he had never met. He heard about them secondhand. And he includes some amazing things in this book. And he says in verses 13 and 14 of chapter 1, For he, God, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. This is really good news. Before we came to Christ, we were literally captive, prisoners to another kingdom. We had to be rescued. We had to be delivered, some translations say. And God was the only one who could do it. We were trapped in this kingdom of darkness. It's the kingdom and culture that is reigning in our world. In Luke 4.18, when Jesus said, God sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and to set the oppressed free, he was talking about us. We were the prisoners. We were the oppressed. Not the people in rehab, not the people who can't stop gambling. He was also talking about us. In the spiritual world, there are two kingdoms. And this is important for us to get this view. Come on, it's Bible class, right? You either belong to God's kingdom or you belong to the kingdom of darkness. There's no middle ground. There's no in-between. There are two, kingdom of God, kingdom of darkness. So we're not just up against the presence of sin or this thing within us that wants to be able to perform our way into salvation. We're also in a real battle with the kingdom of this world. It's the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness. It's the kingdom of self versus the kingdom of selflessness and service. And it's a battle. Is it not anybody? Okay, good. Two honest people. <laughs> the kingdom of darkness and its culture, whether we want to admit it or not, right, because we're Christians, it's so appealing. It offers a counterfeit type of freedom. Right? It's this me-based freedom. Do what you want. Just do it. Nike. Coach, you got to stop wearing that. Um, no. <laughs> do what you want. Say what you want. I mean, that's freedom, right? Love who you want. That's freedom. Go where you want. Define truth the way you want. Kathy, don't worry about what God said. Oh, he's trying to buckle you down and strap you in. Come on over here to the kingdom of darkness. Oh, where you'll find real freedom. But it's a counterfeit freedom. It's a fake freedom. It's a freedom that appeals to that sinful nature. Yeah, and that's why our sinful nature likes it. First Peter 2.16, what did Peter say? We read this earlier. He said, live as free people, 
but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Now, if you don't like that word slaves, <laughs> Paul echoes something similar in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. He says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. God purchased our freedom from the kingdom of darkness. He went through great lengths, come on, can we all agree? To free us from this kingdom and this culture of this world. But again, uh-uh, we get to choose. First uh, Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Thank you, Chris. Great student. We get to choose. Will we conform to the culture around us, or will we be transformed by the culture of God? Will we believe, think, and live like we belong in God's kingdom, where we find a culture of love and honor and light and peace and joy and sacrifice and generosity, doesn't it just all sound good? Or will we live like the culture around us with this counterfeit freedom that produces strife and jealousy and bitterness and depression and anxiety and self-preservation and self-promotion and selfish ambition? So we have freedom. From the adherence to the Jewish law and customs, thank God. So that's freedom from that performance-based salvation, that religious spirit, that religious lifestyle. Freedom from the power of sin. Sin no longer has a hold of us, amen. Freedom from the kingdom and culture of darkness. And number four, oh, and I think I want to say, I don't want to rank them because they're all important. But this one gets me. We have freedom to approach God's presence without fear. This is huge. And I think that this is where the enemy gets a foothold in a lot of our lives in a sinister way. If we really understood what a big deal it is for us to access God's presence, so much about our lives would change. Ephesians 3.12 Ephesians 3.12. I'm going to pretend like some of y'all are getting that on like your Bibles or something and drink some water. Okay, Ephesians 3.12. (laughs) In him, Christ, and through faith in him, we may approach God with what? Freedom and confidence. Oh, what a combo. (laughs) Freedom and and confidence. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest incapable of sympathizing with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet without sin. He did it. Come on. Therefore, Let us confidently, there's that word again, approach the throne of grace to receive mercy 
and find grace whenever we need help. I love these verses in Hebrews. Remember, the Bible was written for us, but not to us. So this letter or this sermon or whatever it really is, was meant for this group of Jewish Christians. And the big point that the writer or the speaker is trying to get them to understand is that the old way of approaching God and thinking about righteousness and salvation, that way is gone. It no longer exists. Behold, something new has come. Something better has come. So in their custom, it's funny, I'm reading through the Old Testament in a year, and I literally read this this morning. I was like, oh, this is funny. So in the Jewish custom, there was a high priest, and he was the only one who could go into a place called the Holy of Holies. It was like a cube-shaped kind of a room, which was separated from the rest of the temple with a veil. He's the only one who can go in there, and then he can only go in there once a year. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine Pastor Philip having to go to God for you, and he can only do it once a year? It was crazy. And he couldn't just do it. He had to go through all these rituals just to be able to enter in to the presence of God. But then Jesus comes, and Jesus dies. And after he says, it is finished, and he breathes his last, what happens? The veil in the temple is torn from top to bottom, come on, Miss Sarah. And everything changes. Everything changes. They would, and I, I just think about it, every time I study Hebrews, I feel like, man, these Christians had actually been, some of them might have had second generation. Their children were coming up in the faith now, and they still weren't getting it. So the writer's like, man, I'm trying to tell you, you don't have to do this stuff anymore. We have a better high priest, and now for ourselves, I know it sounds crazy, but for ourselves, we can access the presence of God. And yet, as mind-blowing as that is, we don't always access this freedom. We don't pray like we are literally before God. We don't worship him as if we were standing in his throne room. Can you imagine if just the however many of us are in this room came up in here on Sunday and we saw ourselves standing before God and we let go of our grocery list and we let go of what we're eating for lunch and we really imagine, wow, I am standing before the presence of God. We fail to see ourselves living and breathing and eating and conversing with the same God who created the universe. We don't grasp the magnitude of what Christ has done. I think that a lot of us still live with the fear that most of these Jewish Christians would have had. To really be intimate with God. Flaws and all. Not to be afraid to be ourself. Right? Our messed up, crazy self. Come on, if I can do it, you can do it. Look at me. Okay, you know what I'm saying? We think, ah, oh, is that real? 
a lot of us live with that fear. 1 John 4.18, this is one of the verses, no lie, that really helped me with this as a young believer. 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. You and I can come before God and not fear punishment. I know that sounds crazy. I know something in us is telling us sometimes that's not true. But it's true because Jesus took the punishment for our sin. For that condition we were in, he took the punishment we were due. That wrath that we deserved, he took it upon himself. It's the age-old battle of fear versus love. Fear versus love. I think that the way we view God makes all the difference when we're trying to live in this freedom. Does he love me or does he hate me? Is he good or is he bad? Does he want the best for me or is he just waiting for me to mess up? I don't know if I can, right? But every day we have the same choice that Adam and Eve had after they sinned. Will we try to cover ourselves and hide from God? Or will we enter in? Will we believe that he really wants us flaws and all? I'm going to get four people to help me with this as we wrap up tonight. Um, Mary, let's see, Chris, um, Joy, can I pick on you on your first night? Okay, good. Joy and, mm, this is hard, Miss Linda Benedetto right here. I want you, <laughs> as you're writing your notes, I want you all to reach under your seat, the four people I asked, and, and grab a yellow piece of paper. It's right in the middle, right, right when you, I love this, search for it. Come on. We need some game show music. Mary, you got it? Hold it up, Mary. Chris, you got it? It's right there. It's right. Oh, man. Okay, we're going to give you one from another seat. There has to be. Oh, this is fun. I like this. I like this. We're doing this next week, too. Just be ready. No, I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> Just hold up that piece of paper you have. Now, what does that piece of paper say on it? Freedom. Ooh, keep it up. Hold it up high. Hold it up high. Oh, you had to find your freedom. Come on now. Sometimes that's what it's like. That's the process. That's the process. You got to. Joy said, I'm flipping this chair. I'm getting my freedom. I don't know what y'all doing, but I'm getting my freedom. Just keep it held up for me. I did this tonight because I wanted to give us a visual. So everybody on the first two rows has the word freedom under their chair. Everybody on the first two rows has access to freedom, but this is what it looks like so often in the body of Christ. All of us with access right at our fingertips to true and lasting freedom, but only a few of us are actually living in freedom. Does that help you? The four of you are getting a prize. Just, you can put your hands down. I just want you to know that. Come on. <laughs> and this is really our bottom line for tonight. If there was one thing I want you to leave 
remembering is just because we have access to freedom, it doesn't mean we will live in freedom. We can say I'm free all day, but if we're not actually accessing the freedom that we have in Christ, we're not living free. We get to choose. We get to choose. I want to close with this, just this observation, this thought. You know, I believe that the reason that a lot of people don't get saved and also not walk in freedom is because both of them can be a little bit offensive and humbling at the same time. With salvation, you're told you were born in sin. You're like, I didn't have a choice, you know. You're told you were a slave. Who wants to be told you're a slave? You're told there's no way you can do this by yourself. It's humbling. But so is freedom, right? You're told you're saved. You're going to heaven. But (laughs) it's possible there are things in your life that are keeping you from walking in freedom and living a truly abundant life. You have to examine your life. You have to get honest. And then you have to go through a process. Yuck. It's humbling. And it takes work. So interview. Because of sin, we need salvation. If you didn't take any notes, just write all this down. (laughs) Because of sin, we need salvation. Christ died so that we could have access to salvation. With salvation, we also receive access to beautiful freedoms. Freedom from religion. Mm. Freedom from sin. Freedom from darkness. Come on. Freedom from fear. Wow, how many of you need that? I need that. And although we have access to freedom, we don't always live in freedom. So that's why next week we're going to talk about the process of freedom. And we're going to walk through what it really looks like to go through this process with God. Good? Let's pray. I don't know, like, how to dismiss? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the freedom that is right at our fingertips, God. We thank you that Jesus died and was resurrected so we could have access to freedom. Thank you for freedom from religion, God. Thank you for freedom from sin. Thank you for freedom from the darkness that is ruling and reigning in this world. Thank you, God, for freedom from fear. Thank you, God, for meeting us here and teaching us tonight. I pray that everyone gets home safely. In Jesus' name, amen.